Blog Talk Radio. For the Bobby Eaton Show, giving yeah. you information you'll want to know, speaking on issues affecting us all, and music for the soul. Yeah. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. Bobby. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. Bobby. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. Bobby. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. Hello, world. Good afternoon. Hey, good evening. Good morning. Uh, hey, wherever you at on the go on the globe. Just huh. saying a little bit of stuff. So, it is good. It is Saturday here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, home of Black Wall Street, and this is open mic. So you can call and dial the number six four six seven one six five five two five, and don't forget to press the one button. Uh, we just talk about a variety of topics uh, concerning you, you know, in the community, for the community. So call in, you know, let's talk about it. Hey, there's been a few things going on, you know, since we've had those uh, shootings in Dayton, Ohio and El Paso, uh, Texas, you know, uh, Bush took a, a tour down there, a uh, visit or whatever you want to call it. And the outcome was pretty rough. So he started bragging about crowd size and, you know, his hospital visit and all of that. And really not being being passionate for the people, you know. So we want to – hey, take a listen to this right quick. Into what the president said to first responders behind closed doors during his, his visit to a hospital uh, in the town that was in mourning. Uh, while 22 families began to plan funerals and wounded survivors still uh, were lying in their hospital beds, the president of the United States said this to a room of emergency workers. It was here three months ago. We made a speech and we had a state. What was the name of the arena? That place was on the Coliseum. Right? The judges have respected you. What was the name? I was from Rome. Oh, oh good. Come here, <laughs> that was some. That was some crowd. Thank you. And we had twice the number outside. And then you had this crazy Beto. Beto had like 400 people <laughs> in a parking lot. They said his crowd was one. You heard him, and just think, you know, young men, women, children were trying to heal uh, in hospital beds, feet away from him, and he wanted to talk about himself. And the crowd size at one of his rallies. Monday, when the president addressed the nation, reeling off the deadly weekend uh, in a prepared teleprompter speech, he called for political unity. But in the past four days, the president has attacked or insulted at least a dozen people or groups, uh, either using Twitter or a microphone. And in the hours between hospital visits in Dayton, Ohio and El Paso, Texas, he couldn't stop himself from launching an insult at 35,000 feet. Uh, uh, using Twitter against the the former vice president, ripping media coverage, and turning the attention back to himself. So let's start there with CNN's Caitlin Collins, who is live at the White House. Um, And and you have some new reporting about how Trump aides uh, are, are viewing the visit. Yeah, Brooke, you'll remember yesterday we saw several of the president's aides come out defending his demeanor during those trips where we were in Dayton, Ohio, but also in El Paso, Texas, saying that local officials were mischaracterizing what happened behind closed doors when cameras were not in there because the White House said they weren't going to let reporters into the hospitals while the president was visiting 
with those patients and their medical staff. But now we're learning that behind the scenes, not everyone back here at the White House thinks that visit was as successful as they were claiming publicly that it was. They're conceding that the president's behavior was not exactly what they were hoping for when the president was trying to strike this tone of being this consoler in chief yesterday. They thought he spent too much time lashing out at those local officials after he left Ohio and was on his way to Texas. And of course, the president was fuming not just about the coverage of that trip, but also at his own age because they didn't let the cameras into the hospitals where the president was visiting with those patients and medical staff, which we saw a little bit of that on that video where he's talking about crowd sizes. But the president wanted the reporters and their cameras in the room. Now, officials defended not letting them come in as because it's out of respect for the patients in that hospital. But the president was saying he didn't feel like he was getting enough coverage or enough credit for his trip there and for his response. So what we're being told is that essentially the president sent that plane ride back from El Paso, Texas, here to Washington last night, fuming about the response to that trip. But behind the scenes, his aides do not think from the administration's viewpoint that it was a successful trip at all. I want to bring in our colleague, Ed Lavendera. He's in El Paso again today. And Ed, you were there yesterday. You were in the thick of it, you know, as the president uh, was there and was visiting with, you know, victims and and first responders. What's your response to hearing now from Caitlin that that, the Trump aides maybe think that the visit wasn't so well received? Well, we had a sense that it was going to be an awkward, tense visit on some levels. We've heard like a a mixed bag from uh, victims uh, and family members that we have been speaking with in, in the days leading up to the visit. Remember, all of these patients are being uh, cared for at two different hospitals. The president only visited one of the hospitals, uh, and there was kind of a mixed bag. I spoke with uh, two men who were uh, survivors. They had rushed to the scene to help uh, uh, rescue members of that youth uh, soccer team, those children that were hiding under a car in the parking lot. They told me that they welcomed the president's visit, that they hoped that they're, by speaking to them that they would uh, have a message of unity for, for the president and for people seeing that. Uh, but we also heard from a number of others who said that they refused uh, to meet with the president, the family of Michelle Grady, the 33-year-old woman who was just outside of the entrance to the, to the Walmart who was shot and wounded three times. She is undergoing a four- or five-hour surgery today. Her family told us uh, that uh, they had no interest in meeting with the president, and we've heard that from several other people as well. So clearly not everybody inside that hospital was uh, anxious uh, to, to get FaceTime with the president yesterday. No, I, I just want to back to his behavior, Caitlin. You know, it's it's it, it's just wrong, and if we don't call it out, it, it, his behavior is normalized, right? So, in addition to to an insult-filled week after calling for unity, what was that? You know, Monday afternoon, he brings up crowd size at the hospital. Yeah, something that wasn't much of a surprise to people who know the president well or pay attention to his past remarks, because that's often something the president talks about. And when he thinks of El Paso, he associates it with that February rally, the rally I was at, where, of course, the big story of that day was the showdown between the president and Beto O'Rourke. So that is what is on his mind when he's going to El Paso. That's what he associates El Paso with, along with that with that argument for the border wall. So it's something he, he brought up. In that video, you can't tell what exactly the response is, because then the president starts talking about taking videos and photos with the people that he's speaking with at that hospital. But of course, this is a question about why the president is mentioning crowd sizes while he's visiting 
with these two cities, these two cities who are still in mourning, of course. And certainly, as Ed is noting, there were people there that were happy to see the president. But as we saw in Dayton, Ohio, just in front of the, that bar where those nine people were gunned down over the weekend, there were people who also did not want the president there, in addition to his supporters going back and forth. And that was kind of a big takeaway for the day, because typically after a mass shooting, you're not seeing this kind of controversy over the president's visit. But that is something you saw very much on the streets of Dayton and in El Paso, where there were people who did not want the president there, along with people who thought it was just fine for the commander-in-chief to come. You know, um, I was talking to Tara Setmare last hour, and she was telling me the story about, you know, during the, the wars overseas with President Bush, uh, Ed, the, you know, the pre- President George W. Bush was at Walter Reed, and he ran into, uh, he was, you know, speaking with a soldier who was, uh, you know, pretty badly injured, and there was a mother who was really angry at the president, right? And uh, according to this story, you know, President Bush stood there and he took it. He let this mother just, you know, she lit into him. And then when they were boarding, it was, it was Dana Perino's, Perino's story. And when, when they were boarding back on Air Force One, you know, he said to, to, to Dana, essentially, wow, that, that, that mama was really mad at me, right? But, but this point of the story was that that was a president you can think of several on both sides of the aisle, right, who, who knew something, uh, you know, god-awful had happened to uh, whether it's a soldier or a, a child in El Paso, and he took it. He took it. He didn't insult others or brag about crowd size, Ed. Well, you know, and really when you consider the scene inside of that hospital, this is just uh, four days after this massacre where you've had emergency teams working around the clock, people – literally hanging on and fighting for their lives. There is one, one man who is going through uh, extensive surgeries, still in critical condition. Uh, the family of Michelle Grady that, that I told you about, she's undergoing a four to five hour surgery today. Uh, these are doctors and medical professionals who are taking this very personally. They say that, uh, you know, they're, they're, they don't want to lose any more. So they're in the yeah. care of these hospital professionals. They are doing whatever they can to, 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 to make that that is what is uh, first and foremost on their minds. And you're also walking in to a, to a situation that is incredibly raw. I mean, these are people who, uh, with extensive, gruesome wounds, uh, in some cases they're sedated, uh, they are in, in medically induced comas, whatever, whatever the case might be. Um, you know, these, are, these are people and families that are watching their loved ones hang on for, the, for their dear lives. Wow, that is... Uh... Too much. How can you have a president who be so un- inconsiderate of those who've lost their loved ones to go down there and talk about the crowd size and, and everything else and and not be have any type of uh, passion for these people? These people have, I mean, they've lost their, their loved ones. They're dead and gone. They're like they're preparing for funerals and burials and memorials and all of this right now, you know, for their love. When you're going to go down there and talk about all of this mess, you know, about you. I don't know, you guys, you need to really step back and take a look at this monster because he's a monster. He's a racist. You know, he's a bigot. He's a he's all of the above, you know, and there's no doubt about it. He's it's all about him. It's 
it's all about Trump. He's the man who wants to make the rules for this country without considering the people in this country. He don't care what anybody thinks. It's about me and the way I think, and I'm going to do it my way. See, he wants to be a dictator, and uh, <clears throat> you know, like Kim Young, you know, down in uh, Korea, you know, and 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 the Russia regime. You know, he wants to be that. That's what he wants to to be like. You know, so that's why his platform is the way it is. And um, he's getting away with a lot of stuff. You know, they say don't it. Well, put it like this. Nancy Pelosi and them say they shouldn't impeach him. I say impeach him. Get his tail out of there. You know, because uh, he's insulting people. And he's bringing about division in this country. And uh, he's encouraging and really uplifting white supremacy. That's what he's doing. You know, so that's what's going on um, at the White House. And I don't like it at all, you know, and it's just real bad business. You know, so I guess that's why so many Democrats are running for office. You know, this time you got a lot of people running for it. Hey, you know, um, one of our, I, I call him one of our leaders, Michael Eric Dyson. You know, let's talk, let's listen to what he has to say. Listen to this: a new national poll asked Americans if they think President Trump is racist, and half of Americans surveyed say yes. Half. Let's discuss this. this. is Michael Eric Dyson. His new book, What Truth Sounds Like, is now a New York Times bestseller, as well as CNN political commentator Scott Jennings. Gentlemen, uh, we have to just repeat that headline. Half of Americans find the president of the United States to be racist. Scott, how do you make sense of that? Well, I think it's a reflection of the extreme political polarization we live in uh, in America right now. We are willing as Americans to ascribe all of the worst motivations to every policy view, to every action that our political opponents take. In this case, uh, what the uh, people who disapprove of Trump believe is that he's a racist and that everything he does must be rooted in some form of racism. Mm-hmm. I think during the Obama years, Republicans were also guilty of this. We ascribe some of Obama's motivations to the fact that he was not born in this country. He was a secret Muslim. But, I think but, what we have is such polarization that it drives us to believe the worst in our political opponents. Okay. It's a, uh, a mistrustful environment, and it's bad. But, Scott, do you think that any of it has to do with President Trump's own words or actions? Let me put up a few of them that people have called racist. Um, in 19, He was accused, as you know, throughout the 70s of discriminating against minorities at his rental properties. In fact, he settled a case. A case about that. That was in 1973, 1978, and 1992. Um, he perpetuated birth terrorism, as you know, calling the, saying that President Obama wasn't born here, called Mexicans entering the country rapists and criminals. Um, he refused to renounce David Duke, as you may recall. He said the Central Park Five were all still guilty, despite DNA evidence to the contrary. Um, he said a judge could not be impartial because he was Mexican, had Mexican heritage, I should say. He said there were people, fine people on both sides of these Charlottesville protests that involved uh, white supremacists. 
He attacked NFL players for kneeling during the anthem. He referred to Haiti and African countries as blank hole countries. So, Scott, do you really think it's just the polarization of the public, or do you think that it's possible that Donald Trump is responsible for some of this feeling? Well, some of the examples you cited, I mean, just because you disagree with people kneeling doesn't make you a racist. Okay, but how about the other you, one? Good you know, God <laughs> you know I mean, How about but the ones about the Charlottesville? But, but the rea- and, and look, as you know, I've been on this show with you guys, and I have disagreed at times with the president's language. Yeah, I don't agree do with some of some the of them are racist? taken. And, no, I don't believe they're racist. I just believe they are not well-informed, and I believe they might wow. be the wrong tone yeah, at the, the wrong KKK, time. I don't believe the president's The KKK racist. just is looking for a discount on linen. It's not you know, a racist organization. They just wear sheets when they get up at night and sleepwalk. Here's the problem. This kind of grievous uh, moral equivalency between, hey, they said Obama was something, they disagree with him, they were polarized, now they're looking at Trump. Here's a guy who was called Haiti and African nations, asshole countries. Here's a guy who in 1973, as you already indicated, uh, was found in a judgment by the Department of Justice to be a discriminatory uh, person when it came to black people. Landlord. Consistent la- landlord. Consistently, the Central Park Five, he called for their death. And even after they were exonerated, he still said it was outrageous. The reality is, is that we're talking about Neil deGrasse Tyson. He looks at stars. He looks through telescopes. Is he an astrophysicist? Well, the reality is this. Donald Trump talks like a racist, thinks like a racist, makes statements like a racist, uh, conjures uh, emotions that uh, give sucker and support to white supremacists and white nationalists. Yeah, he's a racist because racism is as racism does. So this, this attempt to avoid it, and here's the problem. Martin Luther King Jr. said, it's not the white supremacists who are the problem. It's white moderates and conservatives who tend to be complicit with that by trying to dismiss it. Uh, Brother Jennings, much respect for you, but this is ludicrous. What you're doing is even more egregious because you're attempting to justify, legitimate, and make valid what are essentially naked, raw statements of racism. This is easy stuff. This is is very clear that it has racial animus here, and you're trying to dismiss it as a difference of opinion. That is itself complicitous in the racist element we're talking about. Go ahead, Scott. Well, I disagree with uh, everything you've said. I disagree with the motives you've ascribed to me. And I think most Republicans and most conservatives, frankly, are tired of being called by the American left that they're racist or complicit in racism Dude, because with they the issue at hand. Yeah, this man is politicians or believe in certain conservatives. So you're welcome on, to come on, on. gentlemen. Hold on. You're welcome Scott, to come Scott, on here and call that to me. Scott, hold but on. It's, it's not going to help. It's not going to help what you want Understood. to get Scott, out of this country. Scott, I, I hold promise on. you. To get out of this hold country. on. Hold on, Michael. Scott, focus on the question about President Trump. How can you overlook? How can you gloss over some of these points that people have found to be racist? I don't overlook it. I have come on your show and other shows on CNN many times, and I have said the president has made a mistake here, and he's going to regret this, and that the president can do better. But I don't believe Donald Trump is a racist. But why not? I, I just, but I just hold on. I think he may have formed. I just want to ask you. I just want to ask you specifically. If for somebody who tells black applicants who come to their apartment building that the rent is twice as high as they told white applicants, or for somebody who tells black applicants who come to rent an apartment that it's filled, that there's no vacancies, but they don't tell a white person that the same an hour later, how is that not racist? Yeah, look, I, I don't know the details of these cases. I, 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 I really don't. And I'm not going to sit here and go through the guys. You're giving them all the time. I mean, you're giving you're because giving airspace to explanation. a guy and oxygen to a guy who is trying to legitimate and validate. No, I want to hear how we explain than it, even Michael. what the president is. Doing. Hold on, Michael. You'll get your turn. Go ahead, right. Scott. 
I can tell you is, is that I view the presidency, this presidency, through the lens of his policy actions during this uh, last year and a half. I think his basic policy actions uh, are essential, uh, basic sure. tenets so of the Republican platform. That, Not I mean, in all cases, but in most cases. His words. I, I, no, I don't overlook his words. I've been on with you personally <laughs> saying that I disagree with the Understood, words the president has chosen in many cases. No, I do not believe the president is a racist. Okay. I do not believe that. Okay, Michael, go ahead. Here's the point. We, we have a clear-cut example of racial animus, at the very least racially disparaging comments, uh, r r racial uh, inclinations here that are outside not only the norm of what we accept as humane, but he has emboldened white supremacists to come forward. The resurgent bigotry of America has been catalyzed by this president who stands in his bully pulpit to bully people who don't agree with him. And, and I think it is ridiculous here for Brother Scott to come on this, these airwaves and not acknowledge what is clear and plain before us, that a man making inflammatory remarks is not something just to be disagreed with. You should find them abhorrent. You should find them, uh, you should repudiate them and find them a cause for you to distance yourself from a man who could call Mexicans rapists, all Mexicans rapists, Muslims who should be banned, black people who should be discriminated against, women who should be treated in a sexually predatory manner. The point is that here is a president who has said things quite clearly, and you as a figure can't even say yes. I find it repugnant and reprehensible, and he should be repudiated, and yet you come on to try to say, I disagree with you in the past. That's part of the problem we're confronting here in America, and until white folk like you can stand up and find your spine, you will continue to be complicit in the racist okay. animus of this country. Scott, do you want to have the last word? Sure. I mean, you obviously have strong feelings on this. I appreciate everything you do. I'm a fan of your work uh, in some cases, and I think you've raised many, many good issues over the course of your career. I disagree with you on this because I think what's happening right now is that the American left in this country is willing to ascribe racist motivations mm -hmm. to virtually every Republican or conservative in this country, no matter what they do. And that is absolutely wrong. We're only talking I've about been one. a Republican yeah. and a conservative my entire life. Mm -hmm. I have not agreed with President Trump on everything, but I can tell you this. I've never pulled a lever or supported a politician out of a racist motivation. And for you to come on here and say otherwise is absolutely wrong. I would ask you to look into your heart and, and wonder, is it, could it possibly be true that every Republican holds racial views? I think you would find that that is not true. I did right. not say that. We're talking about one in particular. We're talking yeah. about the president of the United States All of right. America who has made uh, egregious statements, sir. So we're not talking about in general. We're talking about a particular person. And you can't even yeah, acknowledge that Yeah, well, you're not familiar with my work on this network. I'm, I'm not talking on here about to represent Donald anybody Trump. else but I'm myself. I'm speaking about Donald you're Trump, You're not familiar sir. with we're what I've said on Donald this Trump. network. Hey, because I have absolutely repudiated his comments when he's been I understand. Yelling over each other isn't helpful. Scott, yes, you have repudiated what he said in Charlottesville. We remember, we have your words from what that. What are we talking about now? We were, well, we're talking about the body of the body of evidence, however you saw it, and we invited you on to share how you saw it. You did so. Michael Eric Dyson, thank you for sharing how you saw it. We appreciate both of you. Boy, that was a heated that was a heat exchange right there. <laughs> wow, that was wow. That was real wow. But you know what? A lot of people cannot acknowledge uh, that Trump is a racist, and they can't see it that way. They are just some people who just can't see. He's a, he's a bigot. He's a racist. He's talked about uh, black people, Hispanic people. Um, he's separated children from their, their parents. He's done an abundance of things in such a negative way. Well, we're going to take a little break, and I'm going to come right back, 
You're on the Bobby Eaton Show where we tell our stories our way. And boy, this is open mic Saturday. You're on dialer number 646-716-5525. And don't forget to press that one button. Oh, yeah, that's the Juice Radio Show every Thursday night, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, okay? And that's what's going on, Juice Radio Show. Searching for ways to grow your business? Or perhaps you would like to invest in Tulsa's African-American community? The Black Wall Street Chamber of Commerce is a great place to start. The Chamber was created to serve and increase the visibility of needs in our community. It is an umbrella organization for local businesses, the Tulsa Juneteenth Festival, BWS Black Women in Business, and the Grassroot Economic Development Fund known as BWS The Power Group. For more information about the Black Wall Street Chamber of Commerce or to donate to The Power Group, visit bwschamber.com. Searching for ways to grow your business? Or perhaps you would like to invest in Tulsa's African-American community? The Black Wall Street Chamber of Commerce is a great place to start. The Chamber was created to serve and increase the visibility of needs in our community. It is an umbrella organization for local businesses, the Tulsa Juneteenth Festival, BWS Black Women in Business, and the Grassroots Economic Development Fund known as BWS The Power Group. For more information about the Black Wall Street Chamber of Commerce or to donate to the Power Group, visit bwschamber.com. Hi, I'm Denise Parker with Midtown Embroidery. We do it all from any type of promotional, from screen printing, embroidery, school uniforms, Greek lettering, workwear, monogramming. There's no job too big or too small and no location too far. Let us be your one-stop shop. We're located at 2808 East 15th Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74104. Our phone number is 918-982-3254. Our email address is denise.tulsamidtown.gmail.com. Thank you. Dawn Tree here, CEO of Underground Tree Studios, your one-stop shop for graphics, web design, and art. You can find us online at www.utreep.com. That's the letter U T R E E P.com, as well as finding us on Facebook, Underground Tree Studios, Instagram as Underground Tree, and you can also find artist Dawn Tree online as Artista Dawn Tree, and you can also kick it old school and give us a call at 202-910-4409. Don't hesitate to call us. All it takes is a 10-minute consultation. We can have you hooked up. Peace. If your credit starts with a 3, 4, 5, or 6, this is for you. Did you know that it's costing you to have bad credit? You can't get qualified for that house or apartment and you're paying high interest rates along with paying high car insurance, and it may be costing you that job that you really want. What are you waiting on? Take more of a holistic approach. Pick up the phone and call the Credit Shiro at 
888-357-1554 or text CAMP to 76626. With 13 amazing services, we restore and repair generations to come. Once again, call the Credit Shiro at 832-642-1554 or text CAMP to 76626. If you know better, you do better. Only the Credit Shiro can help you to save the day. The all-new KBOB, Black on Black Community, Radio 89.9, on your FM dial.
now from El Paso. Member of the House Judiciary Committee, Democratic Assistant Whip Congresswoman Veronica Escobar of Texas. Her district includes the Walmart, where Saturday's mass shooting took place. In fact, is very same one her family often goes to. And Congresswoman Escobar, the president, is tweeting about the shootings and pairing what needs to be done with immigration reform. Uh, so once again, sort of sending out signals, even at this very difficult time. What's your response to that first? You know, I first want to say, Mika, that I live in mm -hmm. an extraordinary community. People have come together like never before. People are wrapping their arms around one another. We had two beautiful vigils last night. We are the epitome of goodness as a community. We welcome the stranger. We take care of the vulnerable. Um, and that is who El Paso is. And I'm, I'm so proud to be a member of this community. Words have consequences. And the president has made my community and my people the enemy. He has told the country mm -hmm. that we are people to be feared, people to be hated. He has done that at his rallies. He has done that through his Twitter. I heard earlier someone mention that he may be coming here. I hope that he has the self-awareness to understand that we are in pain and we are mourning and we are doing our very best in our typical beautiful, graceful El Paso way to continue to be resilient. And so I would ask his staff and his team to consider the fact that his words and his actions have played a role in this. Congresswoman, all across America, um, parents and their little children are going to Walmarts and going to other local uh, places to get uh, supplies to go back to school. Um, it's, um, it's a rite of passage that we've all done, that we all do, uh, except in your districts this weekend, little children and their mothers and their family members were gunned down and killed uh, because a white nationalist was inspired by the language of politicians and some of the things that he saw on TV and some of the things that he saw online. Obviously, we've shown clips of the President of the United States laughing uh, when he's talking about the invasion of Hispanics. And somebody in the crowd says, shoot them. And he laughs and makes a joke about it. And the whole crowd starts laughing time and time again. If you could, tell me about some of your constituents Tell me about some of the people in your district who were shot and killed simply because they went out to get school supplies to go back to school in a few weeks um, and unfortunately found themselves in a crossfire uh, inspired by political hate. Joe, there were some incredible acts of heroism, uh, among those a young mother and a young father who used their bodies as a shield to protect their infant child. Both of those beautiful lives are gone. The infant is alive, but is now an orphan. Mm -hmm. 
there were kids who were having a fundraiser for their soccer team outside of the Walmart, raising money for their team with their parents and their teammates and their coach. And when the gunman, when the shooter approached, they ran inside to hide in the bakery. One of their mothers told me that the shooter went inside after them and yelled, where are you? Looking for those kids. There are stories about elderly couples who were at the checkout. There one story, one elderly gentleman paying while his wife waited on a bench while he paid for their groceries. As the gunman ran, ran in, the wife was um, escorted to the back hurriedly. Uh, people were being shuffled to safety. Her husband didn't make it, and she has to live with that survivor's guilt. All of this has happened because Hispanic people have been dehumanized. They have been dehumanized by the president, by his enablers, by other politicians. This is one of the lowest points in American history. And if we don't recognize this as such, we will not have the turning point that we so desperately need as a country. Congresswoman Escobar, you have aptly and accurately described the president's participation in this weekend, his ongoing participation in, during his presidency in what built and led to this weekend. I'd like to get your reaction to the tweet that he just issued. This is Donald J. Trump, president of the United States, two minutes ago with this tweet. The media has a big responsibility to life and safety in our country. Fake news has contributed greatly to the anger and rage that has built up over many years. News coverage has got to start being fair, balanced, and unbiased, or these terrible problems will only get worse. That's from the President of the United States. What was your, what's your reaction to that? It is shocking to me that he is so utterly self-aware. And this is why, from my perspective, he is not welcome here. He okay. should not come here while we are in mourning. This is one of the sites of one of his rallies. I heard Mika um, uh, earlier mention that violence increased. Statistically, violence went up, uh, hate crimes went up in communities where he had held rallies. He came into one of the safest communities in the nation. And as a result, or maybe not as a result, that is probably unfair. But months later, a gunman came into our community. Someone from outside of this community came into this beautiful, tranquil, loving place to do us harm. I would encourage the president's staff members to have him do a little self-reflection. I would encourage them to show him his own words and his actions at the rallies, because we're not going to get past this until there is acknowledgement from the very top that we need to heal, that this whole country is hurting, that there has been bigotry and racism and hatred that has been stoked at all levels. And as the president, he has the most significant authority and responsibility 
to show this country, to lead this country into healing. And now is the time. And he needs to accept responsibility. Everyone does for what has gotten us to this point. So since the president said, uh, tried to blame his hatred uh, on the, quote, fake news, why don't we just take him at his own word? And let's play the clip. Uh, let's play the clip again where he laughs uh, and he keeps talking about the invasion of Hispanics. Alex, uh, play the clip where he laughs when somebody says that Hispanics should be shot. This is an invasion. When you see these caravans starting out with 20,000 people, that's an invasion. I was badly criticized for using the word invasion. It's an invasion. But how do you stop these people? You can't. There's no. That's only in the panhandle you can get away with that statement. So it's a tough situation. Again, like Walter said, I see a lot of white people laughing when somebody says Hispanics should be shot. Uh, I see two young African-American girls looking confused and looking at their parents. But <clears throat> again, I, just in case the president thinks that's fake news, let's, let's look at this clip yes, again. Boy. This is Donald Trump talking about an invasion. And I do want to say again, you can look at Donald Trump's own government statistics, illegal border crossings. When Donald Trump became president of the United States, we're at a 50-year low. Illegal border crossings have exploded exponentially since Donald Trump became president of the United States and whipped up this crisis. But the, the president says it's fake news. What when we quote his own words, here's a president of the United States whipping up hatred and frenzy, talking about invasions that when he was president of the United States didn't exist. There were 50-year lows, lowest point since I was like five years old. And here's Donald Trump saying invasion time and again to whip the crowd into a frenzy and then say, what can we do? And somebody says, shoot them. And the president laughs and then gets a huge applause. Let's play this clip again and you decide this whether you think invasion. it's fake news or not. When you see these caravans starting out with 20,000 people, that's an invasion. I was badly criticized for using the word invasion. It's an invasion. But how do you stop these people? You can't. There's no. That's only in the panhandle you can get away with that statement. So it's a tough situation. The president is laughing because it's funny. everybody in the crowd thinks it's funny that they're talking about shooting Hispanics. Play it again, Alex. This is an invasion. When you see these caravans starting out with 20,000 people, that's an invasion. I was badly criticized for using the word invasion. It's an invasion. But how do you stop these people? You can't. There's no. That's only in the panhandle you can get away with that statement. 
only in the panhandle. So it's a tough situation. Congresswoman, uh, is it fake news that the President of the United States, who played the clip three times, is sitting there talking about invasions of Hispanics and then leading the crowd in a big roar and laugh and applause when somebody says, shoot Hispanics? Joe, when I first saw that clip um, after, right after the, the rally, I have to tell you, it was very painful to hear. It's actually even more painful to listen to now. Um, I worried. I worried about what was going to happen in our country. I have to again say that in El Paso, we have chosen to look at hate and return that with love. And we are going to keep doing that. We are going to continue to be a kind, generous, loving community, a unified community, a strong, resilient community. All of the people who rushed to the assistance of those who were gunned down, those who were injured, they are incredible, incredible heroes. And every single one of the families that has been touched by this horrific tragedy, they are going to need a lot of support, a lot of goodwill, that's what we are going to focus on in El Paso. That is going to be our mission to make sure that everyone gets all the help and support that they need, the comfort that they need. We are going to continue to emulate goodness and charity and love, regardless of what has been wrought upon us. Victoria, this is Eddie uh, Glaude here. I wanted to ask, ask you to dive a bit deeper into uh, something you mentioned earlier as a kind of broader context. That you talk about these demographic shifts. We tend to focus on Donald Trump, and we're right to do so in terms of his rhetoric and the like. But there seems to be a deeper crisis here with regards to how we think of the country, how we think about ourselves. Could you talk a little bit about what some scholars will, talk, will describe as a crisis in whiteness that's being evidenced in these actions? So say a little bit more about the demographic shifts that, are, that you're experiencing in Texas, that we're experiencing across the country as a backdrop to this violence in interesting sorts of ways. Right, Eddie. So I, Texas sorry, but... is a microcosm of what is happening in the rest of the country. Even though Texas has had a historically large Latino population concentrated in the southern part of the state from El Paso down to the Rio Grande Valley, we have seen over the last couple of decades a very rapid increase of the Latino population. And what we have seen is the consequence of that in terms of the ballot box. So there has been a pushback in wanting to resist this demographic growth. So in wanting to pack folks into certain districts and limit the political uh, voice of Latinos. So we see this in Texas, and we also see this nationally. It's not a coincidence that the rise of the Tea Party nationally and most strongly in Texas happened in 2010, right at the time that we saw the boom of Hispanic demographic explosion here in Texas and across the country. As human beings, just psychologically, we don't like change. Change is hard on our brains. And demographic change is no exception. So as voters, as Americans see demographic change, again, there's two forks in the road. We accept it, we, we, we celebrate it, or we get tense and we get scared. Human nature is one that kind of shies from difference and diversity. You have to proactively work toward embracing that diversity. It's the harder road, 
And the easier road is just pushing and otherizing and dehumanizing. And that is a bit of the, the context that President Trump has picked up on as a result of these demographic changes we have seen over the last couple of decades. Well, and, and Mika, those, those demographic changes that Victoria spoke of were in the gunman's uh, manifesto, uh -huh. where at first he goes, well, I'm not Democratic or Republican, but and he goes on and says that Democrats, because of this Hispanic invasion that Donald Trump was talking about, uh, that Hispanics uh, are going to keep uh, growing uh, in, in Texas and that Democrats will win the state of Texas forever tipping the balance of American politics in the, 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 the hands of Democrats. So what Victoria just said, right. actually the gunman put in his manifesto. That's how connected politically he was to what Donald Trump and what others have been saying. And Victoria, thank you very much for being on this morning. And Congresswoman Veronica Escobar, we are so sorry. And we're also uh, so blessed to have your voice in Washington and in El Paso. Thank you. Thank we'll you. be right back. This is an invasion. When you see these caravans starting out with 20,000 people, that's an invasion. I was badly criticized for using the word invasion. It's an invasion. But how do you stop these people? When we met, it wasn't quite clear to me What you had in store was ever only me Surely you know you took me by surprise When I turned and looked, I saw that message in your eyes There you were, I found on the floor The way you move, girl, only made me want you more I did not know you had been hypnotized To the movement of your body dancing in my eyes I know I had to hold you and make you mine Don't want to control you Just have a good time in ecstasy When you lay down next to me Just have a good time living in ecstasy. 
They are running as Republicans. So let's discuss now with David Jolly, a former Republican congressman from Florida, CNN political commentators Alex Stewart and Angela Rye. Uh, good evening. You guys saw Tom Foreman's piece. Just to remind you and our viewers, not that you need reminding, but just in case people weren't watching before the break, I want to take a look at some of the, the candidates again. Uh, these men have promoted some pretty terrible views, and they're on the ballot as Republicans. What is it, Alice, about our current political climate that is bringing these candidates out of the woodworks and uh, and stamping them with the label uh, of GOP? Uh, Don, uh, unfortunately, it starts at the top, and we have a president that says things that are outside of the norm that uh, have not been said before, and a lot of people uh, have stood behind him in that regard, and that's where we are right now, and the civility in Washington has gone down Tremendously. That being said, the the story we just saw and what we're talking about, these are the dark side and the disturbing side. Fortunately, it is uh, not the majority of people in the Republican Party, and the Republican Party is the party of limited government, fiscal responsibility, and uh, ethical values and life and liberty. And these are a a small majority of people, the Republican Party. And unfortunately, uh, we we are seeing more of them. But I'm I'm grateful for the fact it's a small majority. Okay, listen. Look, I hope it's not the majority of the Republican Party. But the fact is, is that most of the Republican Party supported Trump, who you just said is is promoting this, who's who's emboldening people. I don't want to disparage any party or I don't want to cast dispersions on any group, but it does seem that if you're not racist, right, you're at least overlooking it and you're supporting it by when you go to the ballot or by, not, you know, and, and ballot box and voting for these people or by not denouncing it when your president espouses some of these views. Am I wrong in that assessment? No, look, Don, I lost a lot of sleep over the last several years working for candidates that uh, are men of honor and integrity and dignity, and unfortunately, they were not the party's nominee. And in the end, I voted for someone that I viewed would uh, at least the number one issue for me was uh, Supreme Court justices. I worked really, really hard for candidates for our party that would bring dignity to the office. Unfortunately, that was not okay. the case, and, right. and this is where we are today. All right, I want to, I want to get other people. I don't mean to cut you off, but David, you, did you want to say something? Is... I, I do. I love Alice's optimism, um, but I disagree very strongly and almost angrily with it because this is where Donald Trump has given permission to elements of the party that past nominees and past leaders of the Republican Party have shut down. Uh, Ronald Reagan spoke to the better angels, Bush 43 or Bush 41 to a thousand points of light. Frankly, Bill Clinton spoke to empathy. I feel your pain. Bush 43 to compassionate conservatism, Barack Obama to hope, 
Donald Trump spoke to anger. And, and where John McCain said to that woman in a very pivotal mo- mm. moment in his campaign at town hall where he said, no, Barack Obama is a good guy. Actually, Donald Trump took the exact opposite path and said Barack Obama is a bad guy and Democrats are bad people and Democrats support criminals. Donald Trump has given permission to what we are seeing in all of these viral videos, which are very important right now. Uh, the, the Puerto Rican woman who is assaulted at a park because she has rented some, uh, a, she's wearing a shirt. The, the woman who confronts a young black African-American person selling candy bars at a Walmart, Donald Trump has given permission to that element. So I, I do appreciate and understand the optimism that Alice is speaking to, but I disagree so strongly. It is why people like me and the Republican Party cannot accept Donald Trump's leadership. Go ahead, Angela. So I think that the challenge I have here um, and Congressman Jolly, I respect you greatly. Alice, you know, I respect you. I just have a problem with revisionist history. I have a problem with the fact that we continue to make it seem like racism all of a sudden was discovered, right, with Donald Trump. That's not really the case. I remember when Michael Steele was damn near ostracized and kicked out of the RNC. I remember when the Barack, the Magic Negro ad came out. I remember when birtherism was a thing. I remember when there, were, there was racism tied to the war on, war on drugs with Ronald Reagan. I remember all of these things and what has happened over time, not just in the Republican Party, because the Democrats have blood on their hands too. It's just not equal. Is we have allowed but- covert racism to surface and now it's overt. That is all that's happened because for years we pretended like covert racism wasn't really that thing. We pretended like it wasn't the undercover N-word. We pretended like calling people ghetto and hood rats wasn't racism. And it, all of the time it was. And now that thing has become volatile uh, and angry and violent. That is the problem. We cannot continue to great say point. that racism just surfaced. It's been here. This country was built on that. We cannot turn our minds. Great and our, and ahead, we can't do that. Great we, we have moved, but, but under Trump, we have moved from silence to permission. And that That's is fair. the change. Yeah. And, and that you. is the I change we can't accept. But how do, you, how do you respond to this? Because Tom reeled off um, this, this um, statistic uh, or, or this poll uh, in, his, in his tag to me. And I think it, it deserves exploring a little bit more. A recent Quinnipiac University poll has a striking result. 49% of people said that they believe President Donald Trump to be a racist, while 47% believe he's not. So 49%, that's half of the country. 86% of Republicans say Trump isn't racist. 86% of Democrats say he is. What's, what's going on here? That's, I think that that is striking, Alice, you don't? It is. And look, I think this is a very, as we heard, Angela, it's an extremely emotional issue. It's a disturbing issue. And in my view, look, Donald Trump has the highest approval rating amongst Republicans than any president has had in in decades. And that is not because Republicans are looking at him for the disgusting things he says with regards to race or women or many other issues, but they stand behind him for his policies and what he's doing for jobs and what he's doing for the economy. They are not using race to define him. They are using that as one aspect of him. And they are, Republicans are standing how, behind him. Alice, let me ask you respectfully, It's not all, it's but not how, it's how a can you look over race? How can you overlook race? How can you overlook sexism? How can you overlook um, uh, decorum? 
Like there are so many things that you have to overlook just because you want a little bit more in your tax money. Okay, so then buy one less Maybe. Christmas present. Or that you uh, want a Supreme Court. You, you want someone who's going to give you the Supreme Court justice that you want, even though that person does not follow the rules that you have espoused your entire time about divorce, about cheating, about the way you treat people, about the way you treat children. So I don't understand. This is for me. Help me. Help me, please, understand that. How can you overlook all of these things? If someone talks crap about my mother, about my sister, about my loved ones, about you, Alice, who I love, all of how then do I support that person because I just want a little bit more money? I just want this person on the Supreme Court. I can't do it. I don't see it. I don't understand that. I, I, I just don't get it. Help me. Help me. You, you can't overlook it, Don. It's a bright light, and that bright light's an oncoming train, and you cannot overlook it. But at the, at the end of the day, like I said, he wasn't my first, second, third, fourth, or fifth choice for the Republican nominee, but he ended up being the, the party's nominee. And I am a Republican. I'm going to support Republican candidates when that is the. But if the, the party, if have. the party nominates uh, Hitler, you're going to vote for him? I mean, <clears throat> that's what I don't get. Uh, that's a, that's a that's a far fetched hypothetical in my view, Don. But I'm saying what you're saying, it's, though. It's, but it's sounds it's not. It sounds like what you're saying is it doesn't matter who this person is at his core as long as he is a Republican. That's the point I'm trying to make, uh, Mr. Jolly. Do you understand that? Don, Don, I, I, I hate these conversations because it forces Republicans to confront a reality that I believe, which is this president is racist. And whether that is a result of some type of financial elitism, whether it is because of being born in, on third base through white privilege, or whether it is a part of Steve Bannon's nationalism, this is why traditional Republicans struggle with his leadership. We can't forgive it. We can't normalize it. We can't suggest that he can be the figure of a party that we subscribe to. It's heartbreaking. It's not an easy conversation. It sucks. Everything about it sucks. This is, but this is the president, and he is the leader of the Republican Party, and he continues to peddle what is very clearly racist tendencies. I, I just want to say... Congressman, like, I wish that there, the new members, the folks who have followed in your footsteps could at least acknowledge that. Like, that's all so many of us are saying. And at this point, I'm emotional. And let's fix it. Because we can't, we cannot, like, we're, it's, it's like being constantly gaslit. We're constantly being told, I'm told every day I'm on air that I'm racist because I call out racism. <laughs> That is maddening to me, and I'm crying about it because it's crazy. And I wish and that somebody who's a colleague of mine, like it. Alice, could at least acknowledge that fact. Like, that is so frustrating. We're supposed to be talking about a 12-year-old boy who is just trying to deliver newspapers, and the police are called on him in Ohio, where Tamir Rice was killed in the same age. I want to be acknowledged and seen that this is not okay for our children. This is not okay for the future direction of this country. So I want to say, I commend you for saying what you said. It, it means the world to me. Okay, quickly, Congressman, because Alice our president has given permission to that. Yeah. Go ahead, Alice. I yeah. think Alice should respond. I, uh, and I'll, Angela, I love you. And, and it breaks my heart to, to hear you talk like that and, and feel that. And, and I hate that you feel that way. This is such an emotional issue. And, and I, I think the, the, the point that you made it is so awful to admit is that this has been going on for many, many years. And it is boiling over the surface now. 
the only I'm in my view the the only takeaway in the the light bright light of this is that we're able to have these conversations and talk about them and 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 I and I and I hate and I'm sorry that you feel like you do but I think it's important to have these conversations and and see what we can do to come together and and as we're we're learning more and more every day the efforts to tear us apart I think at the end of the day will bring us closer together.
Tonight, Press Secretary Sarah Sanders refusing to answer what's a very simple question. How many African-Americans work in the White House? Uh, gender. Look, I'm not going to go through and do a count um, the same way I'm not going to do a, a sit down and count on the staffers that uh, are in your news organization. Uh, and we would love to diversify our staff and continue to do so. Uh, we do think it's important. We're going to continue to work to make that happen. Out front now, Angela Rye, former executive director of the Congressional Black Caucus, and Gina Loudon, a member of President Trump's 2020 re-election advisory council. Gina, let me start with you. You know, in the context we're talking about here, all this discussion about Omarosa and whether there's an N-word tape and Kellyanne Conway not being able to say the last name of the one African-American she could label who worked with her in the White House, it would seem a simple question. How many black staffers work in the White House? Um, she couldn't even give a rough number. Does that disappoint you? You know, what disappoints me is the division and the fact that we're having to count people based on their skin color. I don't like that. And I think that, you know, you look back at our history and we, we have a pretty amazing history of overcoming slavery, of uh, expanding civil rights, of women's rights. And a lot of those things happened under American presidents who didn't have any 
um, minorities at all on their White Houses. Thank God we do. I looked over the list of the people that I know there, and about one-third of them are a minority or a woman. Those are great stripes. Could they be better? Absolutely. And I know, I talked to some of my friends in the White House tonight, and they said, yes, they would love more diversity in the White House. The problem is, when you have someone come out and defend the president or even say they want to sit down and have a conversation with him, for example, Kanye West, uh, they're completely annihilated in the press. And so there is a trepidation there. So I think if we could focus on the fact that we would like to build on that and work on it together, I know that the administration is open So your number is roughly a third, and that counts women too. So you're saying two-thirds of them are white men, and then one-third are diverse in some way, but you're counting women in there? Well, I, I don't know. Sure you, I understand. You know, it's... It, Aaron, if you look, for example, um, at the comms department, as far as my count, and I, you know, again, I did this cursory before the show here, but Hogan Gidley is the only white guy I can even find in the comms department. So I think it depends department to department. It's going to vary. But I think the bottom line is the policy that comes out of this White House, 700,000 new jobs, record okay. unemployment for all minorities and women. I mean, you know the list, and it's a good list. And there's more coming out. There's new uh, on the um, okay. Dodd-Frank repeal. There's great news coming out about small business leaders, who many of them are minorities. So there's a lot of good news, Erin. Angela? I think I got stuck at Gina saying that American presidents have done a great deal for people of color like ending slavery. Like, I think I'm stuck in 1865 right now. Like, I can't believe that's the justification. Well, that was a Republican president. You know what, sis? And that's great. But you just really missed the mark. For you to have to say, right, that we don't necessarily need diversity in this White that House. That's not what I said. Well, but, but let me that just, not let, what me just I said. let me just tell you what I heard because I don't think you hardly understand. No, because why, I want you no, to because my you know, words, what you're Angela. not going to keep doing is talking over me because my black life matters and so does my voice. So what you're going to do right now is listen to what I'm saying to you. What you said was deeply offensive. And what I'm telling you is you can't say, at least you shouldn't feel comfortable saying it in 2018, that, you know, this White House not having diversity can be akin to presidents who didn't have no, any black people have on their staff but for slavery freeing slaves. Like, that's not okay in 2018. Thank there are God people, it happened. Ma'am, I let you talk through all of that nonsense. I just need you to let me finish my point. And my point is this. You're not going to be able to successfully name one black person who worked in the West Wing, because you know what? Omarosa didn't even work in the West Wing. So regardless of your points about slavery, which are nonsense, I hope that you RIP those talking points tonight. They should never be resurrected. I'm telling you that it's a problem in this White House with the staff, and the reason why is because it's slim pickings. You know why? Because nobody wants to go work for a racist. There's not a single senior black person in the White House. And don't you dare say to me, Ben Carson, because he doesn't work there, and how dare his gifted hands, who's a brain surgeon, be, and who has never done anything on a construction project, become the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. This whole administration is nonsense, just like your talking point. Go ahead, Gina. Yeah, you know, Angela, I, I understand your feelings on this, but here's my no, point. Don't. I have, a, I have an adopted minority son, yes, I do, um, who happens to have Down syndrome. He experiences bigotry every single day in a myriad of ways, not just because of his skin color, but also because of his disability. And I understand that you and I don't agree, 
But I would not support a president that I believed was going to be a threat to his future. So what I'd like well, to are. have is a constructive conversation. And I think, you know, I think points like yours that are that are focusing only on the negative and not even acknowledging 700,000 new jobs for black people in this country, record low unemployment and the rest of it, it, it's tantamount to what Andrew Cuomo said today that upset me too, that America has never been great. And America let's has focus on never what we've been done great. Well. And it's not let's great because people what, like you come on and lie for the president of the United States and then and then and then tout, bring out your son as an example. Could, like you got to be completely on ashamed what, of yourself. What America is doing well. And how about we look at what we can agree on? You know what America's doing we well? They're getting ready to turn the House and the Senate to over to somebody who can Rather than to call legislate. each other names and cut each other down and be divisive. I don't think this is, I think America's tired top, of the Gina. division, Angela. Starts at the top, Gina. Guess what? As right. soon as your president stops calling people names, maybe he'll set a better example for everyone else. All right. We'll leave it there. Thank you both very much. He doesn't say, go back to where you're originally from. She
Oh, yeah, you're on the Bobby Eaton Show, so we sell our stories our way. All you got to do is dial at number 646-716-5525. And if you want to talk on the air, all you need to do is press that one button, and I'll get you in. This is Open Mic um, Saturday, and got a couple of guys in the studio, and we just kind of free fall. We've been talking a lot about uh, the racist Donald Trump. You know, that's been a topic. And also, we've been talking about uh, some community efforts and things going on in the community. Keep in mind, we're here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And like today, from 12 to 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. Hey, and if you need to get in touch with us, with us you can reach us at eatonmusic2 at gmail.com. Again, that is E-A-T-O-N-M-U-S-I-C, the number two. At gmail.com. It's the Bobby Eaton Show where we tell our stories our way. And we that's the only way I know how to do it. So stick around. I'll be right back. Oh, yeah, that's a Juice Radio show, you all, every Thursday night, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, and uh, tune in with Ramal, the hometown heat. It's a Juice Radio show. Yes. Are there ways to grow your business? Or perhaps you would like to invest in Tulsa's African-American communities. The Black Wall Street Chamber of Commerce is a great place to start. The Chamber was created to serve and increase the visibility of needs in our community. It is an umbrella organization for local businesses, the Tulsa Juneteenth Festival, BWS Black Women in Business, and the Grassroot Economic Development Fund known as BWS The Power Group. For more information about the Black Wall Street Chamber of Commerce or to donate to The Power Group, visit bwschamber.com. Hi, I'm Denise Parker with Midtown Embroidery. We do it all from any type of promotional, from screen printing, embroidery, school uniforms, Greek lettering, workwear, monogramming. There's no job too big or too small and no location too far. Let us be your one-stop shop. We're located at 2808 East 15th Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 74104. Our phone number is 918-982-3254. Our email address is denise.tulsamidtown at gmail.com. Thank you. If your credit starts with a three, four, five, or six, this is for you. Did you know that it's costing you to have bad credit? You can't get qualified for that house or apartment and you're paying high interest rates, along with paying high car insurance, and it may be costing you that job that you really want. What are you waiting on? Take more of a holistic approach. Pick up the phone and call the Credit Shiro at 832-642-1554 or text CAMP to 76626. With 13 amazing services, we're restored
Oh, yeah, sorry about that. Hey, a little bit of a mistake right there. You're on the Bobby Eaton Show where we tell our stories our way. And uh, we want you um, to stick around and we'll be right back, okay? Yeah, you're on the Bobby Eaton Show, where we tell our stories our way. Hey, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 6 p.m., 
And like today from 12 to 2 p.m. Hey, just want to let you guys know about our nonprofit, Not Forgotten Children. And if you need to reach us, 832-443-9499. Again, that number is 832-443-9499. You know, here. We're doing a lot of things around here. Juice Radio Show, Bobby Eden Show, Not Forgotten Children, and a variety of other things we're doing. And we set this up for you, the community. So even though we're global, we're working inside our community. And if you're listening to us and you're into your community, do the right thing. You know, let's just do the right thing. And that's what uh take you for. Hmm. So, hey, keep in mind that coming up Monday, Monday, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, it is Sister Sippin' Tea Book Club. They'll be in here. A group of ladies are uh, together, and they're coming in to share information with us, you know, and to bless us with some of the knowledge of book reading, you know, and etiquette and, and things like that. So that is much needed in our community. We're going to be talking to those ladies. I'm looking forward to doing that. So it should be a pretty good show. So tune in. That's Monday. Again, 6 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. Sister Sipping Tea. And that's what's going on. Well, hey, as we get close to the end right here, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the show. And we've had a great time here. Open mic Saturday. I'm getting ready to go get something to eat. You know, I'm hungry, so I got to put something in this tank right here, you know, so some got to go. All right, until the next time, we want you to take care and have a good one, okay? All right. <laughs>